minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass in All Access podcast. I hope if you're in the DMV, you're staying inside and dry today because it is dreary and disgusting out there. But it gives you the perfect opportunity to tune into the Mass in All Access podcast as you're watching. Follow along on YouTube and Facebook. Comment live. Ask us questions as we go along because that makes it a lot more exciting and the Nationals have the day off. So another reason to be tuning into the Mass and All Access podcast and they ended their series in Atlanta on a high note with a win yesterday. Have the day off today before they head down to Miami for their weekend series. I'm Amy Jennings and I'm joined now by my co-host Bobby Blanco and here we are separate again Bobby. Bobby's joining me from home via Zoom. COVID got us again and is keeping us apart. I know we had to do a uh, podcast uh, from a far apart, uh, what, a couple, a month ago or so, mm-hmm. just out of precaution, because you're about to go on vacation. I found out that I was exposed on my trip to Philadelphia and then uh, hit my house last week. Uh, my fiance got sick last week. I In a small space, I couldn't really escape it. Um, I got through all of last week pretty fine and then it tested positive over the weekend. I'm, I'm more bummed, though, Amy, because I almost made it through three full seasons without testing positive once. And then with three weeks left to go in 2022, I tested positive for the first time. Uh, been out for a couple of weeks. I'm on the mend. I'm feeling a lot better. I know I sound stuffy probably, uh, been a little congested, but I'm feeling a lot better. Got more energy back and hopefully testing negative in the next couple of days. Well, we are glad that you're feeling better. That's the main thing. But yeah, I was to say, it's pretty impressive that honestly, just now you're getting it for the first time. I think that's a better track record than anyone else has that I know or that we work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and also like thankful that we have so many people in our office that you know, we're all five tool players. You know, you're going to work in baseball. You got to be able to do everything. You know, we have people covering shifts. I was supposed to be in Atlanta this week and I obviously couldn't make that trip after testing positive. Uh, so thanks to Paul Mancana for covering for me and uh, Mark Zuckerman on that trip. So Mark can continue to have his time off that he scheduled off and covering for me while I was lying in bed most of the past couple of days, drinking a lot of water and Gatorade and uh, catching up on some sleep and trying to clear my nostrils and breathe a little bit. <laughs> Breathing is nice. That's a good thing to have and could be able to do uh, now that I can finally breathe through my nostrils again. It's been a nice kind of a revelation over the past couple of days. Yeah, well, we're happy that you can breathe again and we are able to do <laughs> this podcast on the Nationals off day. And we kind of mentioned it at the start. They head down to Miami and then the rest of their season is against division rivals and the Nationals kind of control the fate of what might happen in this division uh, for the remainder of the season. After they go down to Miami for the series this weekend, they come back home. They host the Braves and the Phillies for the final homestand of the season next week. And then they finish out the season um, up in New York for a three-game series. So this division is tight and they could control, you know, not only who wins the division, but who has home, home field advantage, who is in that wild card series. So it's going to be kind of interesting and it gives the Nationals a reason to, you know, something to play for. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago 
because we saw this coming, right? The schedule's been out for a while, and they got a bunch of not only just NL East opponents, but contenders. They played the Orioles last week. They played the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. So guys are teams that are still in this playoff hunt. So even though the Nationals aren't going to be playing in October, they're going to have somewhat of a say of who is playing in October. And it's going to be interesting to see coming down. They've, of course, have Miami this weekend, who's pretty much out of it, um, but have given the Nationals fits all year long. They finally won a series against Miami last week at home. But then you've got the Phillies and the Braves again, and then the Mets to finish the season. So all those teams are jostling. The Mets and the Braves seem to keep you know, trading first place places in the NL East over the past couple of weeks. Uh, the past couple of days, really, they're flip-flopping. And then the Phillies are trying to maintain one of those last wildcard spots battling the Brewers. Um, and uh, it's, it's going to come down – It's the Nationals are going to have us. They have a lot of games left, right? Two weeks left in the season. If the Nationals can play spoiler, you know, obviously the Mets have already clinched. Um, the Braves, I believe, are close to clinching their playoff spot as well. Uh, and the Phillies are still fighting for it. But they can determine the seeding, really, between especially the, between the Phillies and the Mets. Or, sorry, the Braves and the Mets. And then the Phillies, they might be able to knock out of the playoffs completely. Uh, we'll see how the, the Phillies play late in the season. I know that series down here is in Nationals Park. The Phillies have played pretty well down here over the course of this season, but they're playing good baseball in September, right? I mean, we kind of asked about for this early after the trade deadline, you know, just play good baseball, solid baseball, clean baseball. They have been able to do that. They're not winning as much as we anticipated, you know, we, we, we knew what happened, but they're staying in close games. We don't see a lot of blowout games like we saw earlier in this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this series in Atlanta is just, you know, a test to that is that they played really good baseball. And even when they weren't hitting the ball as well, they weren't putting the ball out of the park like the Braves tend to do. They were still holding the Braves. And that's a really good lineup. And that whole roster is obviously, you know, way better than the Nationals, but they were still able to be play competitive three games down there despite having two losses. All of those games were really competitive. Yeah, yeah, man. So, you know, you now you turn your attention to the Marlins, which we just talked about, and then the Braves come right back next week. And now the Braves are, you know, they've got themselves, they do have their playoff spot locked up. They got themselves solid, uh, at least into the top wildcard spot, if not the NL East champion. So those games are going to be meaningful for Atlanta, and they're going to come up here and try to win those games. It's not like they've got, you know, the crown already clinched and they're going to arrest some guys or, or, you know, play half effort baseball they're going to go up here and try to win because they're in a tight-knit battle with the Mets they've got an 11 and a half game lead in the wild card game so that's pretty much set for them at least being the number one wild card and then you look at the division uh, they're only one game behind the New York Mets who just got who just leapfrogged them yesterday after the Nationals took that W um, at Truist Field so it's gonna be back and forth of course the Nationals finished the season up in New York at City Field so it literally could come down to game 162 between these two teams. And of course the nationals play the Mets in game 162. So they could have, you know, they pull off an upset somehow they beat, I, you, you're probably not going to see a Scherzer or DeGrom pitching in that series. Cause they'll be set up for the Mets first and second playoff games, but they still will be probably important games for the New York Mets. And so the Nationals could knock them out of first place. You, you might see a lot of Braves fans rooting for the Nationals over these last couple of weeks. After next week's three games at Nationals Park, Braves fans might turn into Nationals fans uh, for the following week in the last series of the season. Yeah, exactly. You always want to be in the conversation for October. But if you're as far out as the Nationals are uh, right now, this gives them something to play for. and makes it really right. exciting. And when you can knock out the, or, you know, 
knocked down, rather the Mets or the Braves. It gives you or keep the Phillies out of the postseason. It, it really gives you something to play for. And kind of going back to this weekend, we're gonna look at one of the really good bright spots of this this or I'm sorry this start of the week series and then kind of the dagger and we'll start with that and that was that Patrick Corbin on Tuesday threw 12 pitches and had to leave the game early uh, we found out later from Davey Martinez and Patrick Corbin himself that it ended up being back spasms Patrick Corbin was still sore yesterday um, but he doesn't think that it's something that is going to keep him out and despite how bad Patrick Corbin has been this season he has been the only guy in this rotation that has gone out there and made his start every five days. Yeah, I mean, we look, we've talked a lot about the ups and downs, a lot more downs and ups over the past three seasons for Patrick Corbin. You know, some fans are upset, rightfully so. Look at his contract, look at the numbers, look at everything that's going on with Patrick Corbin. But the one positive I've always pointed to, Amy, is that he makes a start every five days. He's available. And then people would joke that, well, he barely gets out of the first inning. Okay, yeah, that's true too. But He's made 30 starts this year. If he is able to finish off the season, that could be two or three more, 32, 33 starts. He made 31 last year, and he made all 11 back in the shortened 2020 season. So he's at least been durable, and this is a guy that's done it before. You know, I'm not going to say that you know Patrick Corbin's going to finish this season looking like 2019 Patrick Corbin, or he's going to start off next year looking like 2019 Patrick Corbin, but we know that there is still a solid pitcher in there. We've seen a couple of good outings, especially after the Nationals skipped one of his starts a couple of weeks ago, so he's pitched a little bit better. Uh, so it's just an unfortunate setback for him, and you know that was the one positive he had going for him, his durability. He's able to to pitch every five days um you know you hope that he's able to come back and shake this off and and pitch at least one more time you want some positive momentum going into this offseason from him the nationals want to see him and i'm sure patrick himself wants to see it too you know right have a good start to finish the season he said that last year he said that back in 2020 as well you know you need some positive momentum going into the offseason into next spring training and into next year so the nationals need that he's gonna be here right i mean the, he's not going anywhere the nationals are gonna be really have a hard time trying to trade him. Who's going to want? Who's going to want him with his numbers where they are? So and that contract. So he's going to be here. You need him to pitch well. You need him to finish finish strong and hopefully bounce back next year. Right, exactly. You mentioned that being his 30th start of the season. He's made at least 30 starts in each full season he's been with the Nationals. And you can kind of look past the, the 18 losses, which is an MLB high, and giving up the most runs and hits in the entire league when he's been the only durable thing. And in a season like this, once you get past the fact that you're going to lose some games and maybe these pitchers you know, aren't up to par with with the rest of the division or the rest of the league at that point you want somebody that win lose no matter what they do they go out there and eat up some innings every five days and that's what Patrick Corbin has been able to do and I think that's all they can realistically after looking at 2021 and the struggles this season that's all they can realistically ask out of him but it's just kind of a little bit of a dagger when you look at the long list of hurt pitchers this year straws Ross uh you know Eric Fetty missed a month. Anibal Sanchez didn't start the season until July. You know, it just, Kate Cavalli, you know what happened there. It just adds to this long list. And we just hope for Patrick Corbin's sake and for, for the sake of this team that it is just something small. He can finish the season on the high note and continue doing what they've asked him to do this year. Right. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago, Amy, the long list of pitchers on the injured list. You mentioned a handful of those names. 
you know, of course, there was a story in the Washington Post last week about Steven Strasburg and his future. And so there is that level of concern. You know, when, it, when another pitcher goes down, is it able to finish out an outing due to an injury? But this seems a lot less severe mm-hmm. than an arm injury, a shoulder injury, an elbow injury, something like that. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not as you got to take precautions, right? I mean, Patrick Corbin is, you know, on the wrong side of 30 and he throw he throws a lot. I mean, he's, he's durable, so he does throw a lot. And you have to wonder, too, Amy, Patrick has done so much this year to try to turn things around he's changed grips he's changed mechanics he's changed tempo speedy i mean you in in a small dose like that like that's probably not a big deal but when you change so much to everything you do on the mound so often trying to find something that works trying to find yourself your way back to uh the version of yourself that you were at this point three or four years ago your body you know i i don't really you know, kind of blame him or like, you know, it's not surprising that his body kind of broke down like this. I'm not saying he's broke down or, or finished, but like <laughs> right. an injury popped up, right? You know, there's so many tweaks that he's been doing over the course of the season, especially a couple of weeks ago when his start was skipped and they did extensive bullpen sessions and film sessions and stuff like that, trying to figure him out. So it's not that surprising that something kind of popped up like this, the amount that he's pitched, all the tweaks that he's made, his body's just probably not used to it all. Um, so, again, hopefully he finishes off the season. Maybe the positive is that he avoids 20 losses this year. I mean, we don't really count pitchers' win-loss records, but that's you know something to keep in mind. And also, you just hope that he's a- around for these other younger pitchers. Again, we know what's happened over the past three seasons, but Patrick Corbin is someone who's been there, done that, had a great 2019 season, was the game winner in, World- in uh, Game 7 of the World Series. Uh He's a he's a durable, successful pitcher in the major leagues. He's done it before. He's good at game planning. It's more the execution than anything. I don't think his game plans have been all that bad. He's always said that he's done really well communicating with the catchers and game planning. So you hope that that veteran presence stays in the pitcher's room with all their meetings, with all their with the catchers, Jim Hickey. Um, and then you look at a guy like Mackenzie Gore, another young left-hander coming up. That's someone that Patrick Corbin could mentor a little bit uh, as Mackenzie Gore has now done a couple of rehab starts with Rochester, maybe one more before finally making his nasty debut uh, before the season's over. Yeah, exactly. I mean, pitchers are going to get hurt. Pitchers over 30 are going to get hurt, but it has to bring down your level of concern a little bit, given that Patrick Corbin hasn't dealt with injuries through his his whole career. It might just be some back soreness, and then he's back there on the mound. So I don't think our our concern should be too high. And then you mentioned Mackenzie Gore there, who seems like we're getting more optimistic news, and it's looking more and more like we might see him make a start uh, before this season is all said and done. So nothing to be super concerned about, but definitely still a little bit of a low note um, given the history of Nationals pitchers and getting hurt. Uh, that's something that you never want to see, especially out of your most durable pitcher. But you have to give credit to the bullpen who had to cover eight in the third innings in that in Patrick Corbin's start on Tuesday and then came out yesterday and combined to throw five shutout innings. I mean, they have really impressed today having the day off. I'm sure it is super nice for them before they regroup and Davey puts together, you know, a game plan for his games down in Miami. Yeah, this is these days off. I mean, we I, I kind of mentioned this like at the beginning of the month that the Nationals do have a good amount of date. They had that long road trip after that A series uh, to New York, St. Mm-hmm. Louis and Philadelphia. But, you know, the two game series last week against Baltimore. Now they have an off day this Thursday. Next Thursday is their last off day of the season. So, 
we've been kind of talking about like this is going to help Davey Martinez plan out his lineups and his pitcher use. You know, he can kind of one rearrange the rotation. We talked about giving uh, Patrick Corbin rest. We talked about Josiah Gray getting rest. We talked about it also as a negative in the sense that maybe Kay Cavalli probably doesn't have time to get back. But now you also can look at a way to figure out if Mackenzie Gore can make a, a start or possibly two before the season's end. And you also have a rested bullpen. They had to cover a lot of innings on, on Tuesday when Patrick Corbin left in the in the first inning after only throwing 12 pitches. But you have an off day today. You're going down to Miami. You have an off day next Thursday. If everyone can kind of, the, you know, and also one of their best starting pitchers, Zanibal Sanchez, who suffer however, I don't know how he's doing it, but he's been able to go pretty solidly into games. So if, Pat, if Davey Martinez is able to kind of, you know, map this out, obviously everything's not going to go according to exactly according to plan, but you can kind of have an idea of like, all right, this guy can give me this many innings. This guy's good on back-to-back days. This guy's good on going multiple out of the bullpen and then probably needs a day or two off. You can kind of piece together a plan for the end of the season with what just under two weeks left to go yep exactly so hats off to the bullpen despite you know pitchers not going deep into games especially on tuesday patrick Gorman only throwing 12 pitches um they've done their job and had to cover a lot of innings and done a good job with that so hats off to them and then the other bright spot this this uh past series and really the entire second half of the season since joining the nationals has been joey manessis it's not only one of the hottest hitters with the nationals but really across the league i mean he has been absolutely incredible and been such a bright spot bobby do you think that he has a future with this team going into next year uh, i yeah i mean we I, I think we have we talked a good amount about joy menaces i don't think we've done enough about joy menaces i mean obviously he you know took this team by storm when he came up um, after the juan soto josh bell trade uh, he's been one of the hottest hitters, like you mentioned, in the National League. He's hitting 328, 11 doubles, 10 homers, 25 RBIs, 10 walks, 27 runs scored in just 43 games. He's setting records for the amount of hits a rookie has had over his first X amount of games um, to start a career. Uh, you know, Entering yesterday's game in the National League, he ranked third in hits with 55 fifth in average at 324 and 10th in slugging at 547. It was also tied for 10th with 20 extra base hits. That's all of the National League since August uh, 2nd when he entered the game uh, before yesterday's game in which he recorded a hit. So he's been hitting really well, obviously the two-run home run um, on Wednesday. So you know, it's it's one of those things where like we talked a little bit about it, but now we need to devote a lot more time to Joey Manessis because we've got – a good amount of sample size of his sustained success. And now the question is, it's not, can he finish the season strong? We probably can assume that he was going to finish the season strong. Is he going to be a part of the Nationals plans moving forward next year, the year before that year after that year after that? I have to say, yes, I think, I think the writing on the wall says yes, because a couple of reasons, one, he's young service time wise. I, I mentioned him a couple of times last week in a couple of articles I wrote on massinsports.com and I grouped him with a bunch of young prospects and people were very quick to point out that he's 30 years old. Yes, he's 30 years old, but he's young in service time because the Nationals have control of him for the next six seasons, even though he's only 30. He's still a rookie, just like any other rookie coming up. He's pre-arbitration eligible. He's not arbitration eligible for another three years. They'll have him until he's 36 years old uh, if they want. So that is a plus for Joey Manessis in that he's 
on a rookie deal for the next six years and having this kind of production. Um, the Nationals are going to have a spot open on the roster next year. Nelson Cruz won't be here. That's going to open up a DH spot. You can have a revolving door of Manessis, Luke Voigt, Riley Adams, Caber Ruiz on his days off, uh, even Yadiel Hernandez. If he comes back healthy playing DH, Joey Manessis can play first base. He can play a little bit of the corner outfield. And then that goes into my next point where he's a little more versatile. He, yes, he's an everyday first baseman, but he has played a lot in right field and uh, some in left field. So he can play a little bit of everywhere. And uh, he's, it, those positions, especially first base, aren't as physically demanding as when he's playing every day in the corner outfield. So I, I think there is a path to him being successful and having sustained success and being a part of the Nats' future for the next couple of seasons. All right. I mean, I'm sure to a certain extent the Nationals are like, how did this guy fall into our lap? Um, and it's kind of similar to the same storyline of Lane Thomas last year when the, the Nationals got Lane Thomas and he hit for really the whole second half of the season and the Nationals were like how did we get this guy um and then you know this season he's kind of leveled off a little bit so I think it's very possible that Joey Manessis kind of follows the same path but my question is is why didn't Joey Manessis get a chance before this I mean we know he was with the Braves organization for a while and probably blocked at first base by Freddie Freeman and blocked with his other teams um but you know, why was he just not hitting that well in these other organizations that they were like, oh, we don't have this this type of player or he's just completely lighting the world on fire and this came out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, no, and this is something we brought up two or three weeks ago when we were talking about him for a little bit. It's like, they're what, like good for you, but like also what took so long? Like if you've been this good, like is it – it can't be as simple as, oh, you just caught fire now, right? Or maybe it is. I mean, who knows? I mean, he had a really strong year at AAA Rochester. And this is something that, you know, the Nationals and Davey Martinez points out when he talks about Joey Martinez. It's not like he's just coming up here and just, like, being unbelievable out of nowhere. He's been hitting like this in the Mexican League and at Rochester all year long. And the Nationals didn't have a need for him. He was a first baseman at AAA. And they had Josh Bell playing every single day um, up here in the National League. And he almost had a uh, – or in the Nationals and almost was an NL All-Star uh, before he got traded. So there was no need for him. And he just kind of got lost in the shuffle. A 30-year-old guy who's never made the majors, signed to a minor league deal, and then hitting pretty well at AAA. That's not really that unsurprising. It's more surprising that now he's here and that's not only carried over, but he's actually gotten better. He's hitting right. better at the major league level than he did at AAA. Um, and I, I think the sustain the sustained success that he's going to have, I think, falls under his ability to hit off speed and breaking pitches. He does that very well, more so than any other rookie. I mean, I know again under the pretense that he is 30 years old, not an ordinary rookie, but he is technically a rookie. And you think of guys that come up, younger players that come up and make their major league debuts, and they struggle with off speed stuff, breaking balls. They're really good on fastball hitting because, you know, that's how you, you know, kind of fly through the minor league ranks. You hit fastballs and you kind of struggle when you see major league breaking balls. Think of C.J. Abrams. Think of Luis Garcia. Joey Manessis is better hitting breaking balls and off-speed stuff than he is hitting fastballs. And David Martinez also points out that in the Mexican League, they throw off-speed stuff and breaking balls way more frequently than they do in the major league. So he's always been a good off-speed hitter as opposed to a fastball hitter. Uh, if you look at his baseball savant page, he's hitting 297 and has an expected batting average of 281 on fastballs, but he's hitting two, uh, 368 and 346 on off-speed stuff. So uh, and breaking balls, respectively. So it's like 
I think that part right there is what makes it more sustainable because it's usually the opposite where you have to adjust to the off-speed stuff. He's already hitting that stuff. It's going to be easier for him to adjust to hitting fastballs moving forward um, at this rate. Right, exactly. You know, he's not just going out there and hitting singles. I mean, you saw it yesterday. He got that outside pitch, hit a single, then came inside on him. He turned on it, got that home run uh, to left field. So he, he's able to hit everything, and that's why you can see that more – mature advanced plate approach that you're going to get out of a 30 year old versus these other rookies like cj abrams who you can see the learning curve and kind of see you know him adapting and learning along the way and you know you kind of wonder maybe he's going to be the first baseman of the nationals future i mean he defensively he's way better than luke voigt at first base and we were before we were like oh luke voigt definitely they've got him now he's going to be their first baseman but you have that dh spot and if luke voigt starts to hit a little bit better much better than he did in that series in atlanta maybe that's going to be more of the, the spot for him and joy manessis could be their everyday first baseman i think that's exactly the plan amy because like I said earlier, Nelson Cruz is going to be out of the picture next year. I think it's very possible that you see Joey Manessis be the everyday first baseman. Luke Voigt slide into the DH uh, spot every day. He plays a little bit of first base when Joey needs it. Or they can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. You'll have Riley Adams as a backup catcher. He can fill the DH spot as well. I think that's – we're kind of seeing – I mean, a lot can change this offseason, of course. you got um, arbitration, non-tender deadline, uh, Rule 5 draft. Uh, 40-man roster needs to be changed to protect some players from that as well. Uh, Trades, free agency. So things can change, but I think we kind of see the writing on the wall, uh, the blueprint for next year's roster where you got Joey Manessis at first base and then Luke Voigt sliding over to the full-time DH spot. Because like you said, you're right. Joey is much better at defensively at first base and he can hit Luke Voigt. He he brought him over for the bat and and only the fact that he plays first base because you're getting up, giving up Josh Bell in that trade, you're not really getting him for his glove. You're getting him for his bat. So I think you know that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of reminds me of oh something that the Nationals have done in the past, where you kind of move a 30 year old over to first base. Now I know jo- Joey Manessis has always been a first baseman, but if you think back 2014, Ryan Zimmerman was 30 years old. They moved him to first base, and over the next uh, six years, six seasons or seven, honestly, he hit you know. 360-ish with over 100 home runs and almost uh, 400 RBIs. If you get that kind of production over from Joey Manette, I'm not comparing the two, mm-hmm. but that kind of production could be like the baseline or maybe the goal for Joey Manessis over the next six seasons that the Nationals have control of him. A 30-year-old playing first base, solid defensively, and with a strong bat, some sneaky pop, uh, that could be the goal for the Nationals looking forward, or moving forward with Joey Manessis as Luke Voigt slides over to DH. Yeah, exactly. He's played in 43 games now, so the good news for the Nationals and Joey Manessis is that's 27% of the season. So at the beginning, you were like, oh, maybe this is a fluke, but once you played in 27% of the, of the 162 games, it becomes less and less of a fluke and more like maybe this is sustainable success. So I think, you know, I will look to see how he finishes the season, but it's looking less and less like a fluke because these switchers are having a chance to, you know, look at the tape and adapt to how to pitch to him. And he's still hitting. You saw it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It comes back to that, honestly, his ability to hit the off-speed stuff. I mean, because like, usually, like, again, like pitchers are going to go attack with the fastball and then get young hitters out chasing a breaking ball or an off-speed pitch. You can't do that with Joey Manessis because he mm-hmm. he sits on those and he hits it really well. And I think it's e- – 
I know Davey Martinez and the coaching staff are trying to get him to sit fastball first and then adjust to an off-speed pitch. But if he's already kind of going the opposite way, you know, it's going to be easier for him to adjust to a fastball than it's going to be a breaking ball that he's already used to seeing. So I think that production is going to come rest of the season, carry over to next year. Uh, and just the way that he's approached and the experience he has throughout the minor leagues, throughout the Mexican league, I mean, he, he's not your everyday rookie. And, and you can even make the comparison. You made the comparison to Lane Thomas. You can make the comparison to Yadiel Hernandez when he came up in 2020. Only difference there being is, one, Joey's two years younger than Yadiel was when he made his debut. Yadiel was 32. Joey's now 30. And two, it goes back to that defensive uh, position that's less physically demanding. Yadiel played corner outfield spots, running around, throwing a lot. Uh, we saw a calf injury uh, bring his season to a close earlier this year. Um, and then now Joey's playing first base. I mean, that's not as physically demanding as the outfield spot. So, you know, he could be around for a little more, I guess, accounted for for a couple more years than Yadiel Hernandez type who kind of did the same thing, burst onto the scene, showed the ability to hit, uh, showed the ability to hit for power too, but then kind of faded away as, you know, his body kind of wore on. Joey's a little bit younger, less physically demanding pitcher. So I think Joey has – uh, a good path for a little more sustained success over the next couple of years. Right, and that makes it a little bit more exciting. I mean, I think we were all excited when Yadiel Hernandez kind of bursted onto the scene, but we were realistically right. like, he's not going to be a part of this future when the Nationals are winning again. Yeah, realistically, he's not going to be here, but we can have that conversation with Joey Manessis because he is a little bit younger, obviously older for a rookie being 30 years old, but younger than Yadiel Hernandez and could be a real piece in the future of the Nationals. So that will be exciting to see for the rest of the season. And I think another thing that's kind of um, been by chance that we're getting to see is this conversation of who's going to be the backup catcher. Um, moving forward because Caber Ruiz got hurt. We're getting to see a combination of Israel Pineda, Trace Barrera, and Riley Adams behind the plate. And that's going to be something to kind of follow for the rest of the season. You know, how are they taking advantage of their opportunities? And, you know, going into spring training, who does Davey Martinez think could could fill that spot? Yeah, it is. I have to say, it is kind of surprising the lack of playing time that Trace Barrera has gotten and how much Israel Pineda has been playing uh, since he came up to cut, take over when uh, Cabo Ruiz went down with that uh, very unfortunate injury a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, you know, to an extent, I also kind of get it, right? Like, you basically know, if you're the Nationals, you know what Trace Barrera is at this point. Like, he's not going to show you anything that he hasn't done already or isn't capable of at this point. He's been in this organization for a long time. He's got a good amount of Major League Service time underneath his belt. Pineda has been one of your, actually, if you are not counting Tress or from last year, Caber Ruiz, Pineda has been your top catching prospect for a while now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going even going back to like when Pedro Severino was here. So it, it's kind of like, all right, let's see what you got, kid. You know, let's give him some playing time. We know what Tress is. He's a reliable backup. Um, you know, we, we're not quite sure what his future holds here, but Pineda could be a guy that fills in this spot at some point down the line. Let's give him his shot. We know Riley's going to be here. We know Caber's going to be the number one guy once he's healthy again. Um, so it, it is a little surprising to see Tress not catch as much, but at the same time, it is kind of fun to see what Israel has and uh, what he can bring to the table. Right, exactly. You know, Israel Pineda kind of has more of an offensive upside, but then you saw yesterday Trace Barrera took advantage of his opportunity, went two for four, um, threw the guy out at second. So, you know, you kind of see the pluses and minuses of, of playing both of them. And for the longest time, it's kind of been like these prospects are there, like – 
there's something because the Nationals aren't bringing them up. And, you know, they've been going out and getting catchers from other places. And it's like, maybe these guys just don't have it. You know, we're never going to see them. So that kind of makes it a little bit more exciting that we're getting to see them the rest of the way. The catcher spot for a couple of years now has been a very, you know, big question mark for the Nationals. Mm -hmm. You you going back to years with Pedro Severino, Matt Wieters, Wilson Ramos, Jose Lobaton. I mean, you had those two years with Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes holding the fort down, but you knew they weren't going to be here for the long term. Of course, won a World Series. Thank you very much. But (laughs) for the long term, that was always been a question mark. They kind of went on a year-by-year basis with veterans, which is a good thing. You know, you you had a veteran pitching staff, and, you know, they're easy to – you know, kind of get on the same page and mesh. They've been there, done that. But now you got a young pitching staff, Patrick Corbin, you know, excluded from that. But you have a young pitching staff and you don't really have a sure thing behind the plate. You look at teams that are often winning, they've got guys behind the plate that have been there for a long time. You know, you look at Yadiel uh, Molina in, in St. Louis. Uh, the Dodgers seem like they always have a, a, a strong catcher behind there. Buster Posey, all his his years in San Francisco. The Nationals have kind of had this revolving door at catcher, which worked for a while, won a World Series. But now in this transition phase, you kind of need someone more sturdy. You have that in K. Bear Ruiz. You have that in Riley Adams. But you also need some depth right there, too. Um, possibly trade pieces. Who knows? But you also need that depth right there. And they're figuring out what Israel Pineda brings to the table right now in the Major League. Because, again, I think they know what they have in Tres Pereira. Solid backup. Great guy. Great clubhouse guy. No problem there. But let's give the young kid a shot. Right, exactly. And if... Bradley Adams is going to be their backup catcher next year. He's going to have to hit. Uh, so that's something, you know, he has to prove uh, the, the rest of this season. And credit to these guys because they're younger catchers and they're having to catch a bunch of different guys, you know, whether it's five relievers here or Kate Cavalli comes up for a star and then he's done and you just don't know. Uh, the It's constantly changing both this rotation and then this bullpen. So credit to them because, you know, it takes a certain level of ability to be able to do that. So that'll be interesting to follow along with the rest of the season, um, along with whether the Nats can play spoiler and who they're going to let in the playoffs out of this division. Uh, Bobby, do you have anything else before we get out of here? Hey, I'm looking forward to them coming home. Last homestand next week, uh, the Braves and the Phillies, they got an off day next Thursday again. So good to give some, some rest for the last stretch before they head up to New York. Doubleheader on October 1st against the Phillies. Looking for Mackenzie Gore, trying to map out when he could possibly debut that doubleheader. They might be able to squeeze him in to get at least one start before the season ends. Uh, so looking for Mackenzie, spoiler. Um, and then also last couple of games at Nationals Park should be fun. All right, Bobby. Well, we hope you continue to feel better uh, so we can finish this season on a strong note and we can be back here. Thanks for thanks for hopping on, Bobby. Sorry, that's my number one thing I'm looking forward to, being back in studio <laughs> next week. Thank you to Tim. Thank you to Amy. <laughs> thanks to everyone helping out. Uh, the well wishes. I appreciate it. I should be back in studio next week for our, our second to last regular season pod. All right, there we go. He's Bobby underscore Blanco. Follow along with all of his coverage for the remainder of the season. Of course, head out to Nats Park next week for the final homestand where they host the Braves and then the Phillies um, at Amy Jennings News on Twitter. And of course, you can follow along with the Mass and All All Access podcast and all of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Bobby, you're better at listing all of these names. I don't have it in Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Apple Podcasts. Um, You can follow along with the Mass and All Access podcast. I hope the sunshine comes out and you can enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week.